Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Virago Podcast, a monthly celebration of books, reading, and writing, brought to you by Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. I am Sarah Sabin, publisher of Virago, and I'm sitting here with Laura Thompson, who was the winner of our inaugural competition with the pool to find a new crime writer for the Virago list and we were looking back at writers like Patricia Highsmith, Daphne du Maurier, contemporary writers like Stella Duffy, Sarah Waters, writers who were really proud to publish and who write just outstanding novels which either are full-on crime novels or play with some elements of suspense in the crime genre and we were trying to find a new writer to add to that list. So no pressure to that writer, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> to match up to those names. Um, so we ran a competition with, with The Pool, with Sam Baker at The Pool, and got hundreds of entries, had amazing judges, uh, including uh, Aaron Kelly, Sam Baker, as I mentioned before. And Laura was our winner, and we were absolutely delighted with her. And her novel is called One Night New York, and she's still writing it because uh, you only had to enter 5,000 words in a synopsis for the competition. But we thought it would be fun to track the progress of uh, entering the competition, uh, your writing life before the competition, and then how the writing's going, the editing, finally when we come around to publication. So today we're going to, because you're still writing, so I'm not going to ask you on, you know, for posterity mm. on record about exactly how many words you've written, so don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> we started to get slightly anxious during that preamble. Then, but... <laughs> so we'll do that afterwards in, in the pub. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, today I wanted to ask you some questions about your writing life and your inspiration before the competition, kind of how mm. you got to mm. this, this point, basically. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, when did you begin writing fiction? And if it's possible to answer this, why did you start writing fiction? Hmm. So I began writing fiction uh, when I was very, very young. Um, first of all, really poetry, primarily, when I was kind of around 10, 11, 12, that kind of mm. age. Um, and then fiction kicked in when I was around 14, 15, and I used to try and uh, write short stories. 
but it turns out that I really hate short stories. And um, each short story would very quickly get longer and longer mm. and longer, and I try and hem it in. And it turns out writing short stories is really, really difficult yeah. to do it well. Um, and, yeah, so so I would often start things and never finish them. So I had, like, six different manuscripts sometimes on the go. I'm calling it manuscripts now, really. It was just notebooks full <laughs> of stuff at that point. Um, and... Yeah, so so I was pretty young, never obviously did anything with any of it, um, and then went into academic writing from there and became a lecturer. And so uh, went down a route of um, really kind of finickety, um, complex, uh, tight writing, um, as, as academic writing is. And then um, started to get frustrated with all of that a little bit and felt like I needed a much more creative outlet. Um, and so, so yeah, so then, then kind of started writing properly, what I would call properly, officially, no, not even officially, secretly, um, started writing stuff <laughs> when I was about... It's safer to call it stuff. Yeah, it? yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 everything had such a caveat in my head then, <laughs> as I was saying. And so then, then started writing things and stuff when I was probably uh, in my early 20s, and I, it's essentially all Zadie Smith's fault, but I think you've got another question to me about her, so I won't go into that <laughs> okay. now. But yeah, um, started thinking that I might be able to be a writer around then. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think that's when I really started writing seriously for myself. And did you feel like you had to hide it from your fellow academics? Um, or were you hiding not, it from well, everyone? I was hiding it from everyone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, everybody except my husband. So... Um, so yeah, he knew, and I think my parents might have known at that point. Um, but yeah, I was just writing secretly. It was like a, my my sne- sneaky little dirty secret. <laughs> it was the thing that I was doing on weekends and evenings mm. and not telling anybody about. In part because I, I think, I don't think I'm alone in saying that it's a little bit embarrassed. There's something about it that is embarrassing. Not that being a writer is embarrassing, but that being an unpublished writer is mm. embarrassing. Mm. There's a, there's a, um, there's, it, it just there's something wrong with it in somehow and so as soon as you tell somebody you're writing something they ask you then a million questions mm. that you often don't have any answers to um and I think yeah it was all part of that it was part of trying to take the pressure off myself mm. to allow myself to sit and write in freedom really because so much of academic writing is about publishing and people assessing what you've done with a fine-tooth mm. comb and it's kind of highly pressurized and I didn't want it to be like that so yeah, it was secret for a long time. Do you think it's more embarrassing to be a bad writer, a bad writer, or a mediocre writer, or an unpublished writer than say like bad at I don't know tango or yoga or yeah, like other totally. hobbies that people might do? Totally. I'm not people saying, people yeah. think you're if you say you're writing a novel. Well, first of all, you have that whole cliche of well, everybody's writing a novel, mm. um, and you you just automatically think somebody's a bit of an egotistical idiot. <laughs> you know, well, I do anyway. Maybe it's just my own judgment of other people that I'm placing on everyone else. Like that's not right. But um, but yeah, I just feel like that there is this thing attached to it where uh, yeah, it's just embarrassing, and you feel like. Um, you don't want someone to think you're an egotist, mm. that you think you're good enough to be a writer. And so, yeah, I just concealed it for a long time. Mm. Yeah. Until very recently. Yeah, it's all come yeah. out now. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I've been outed. Yeah, it's all right now, though. <laughs>
<laughs> were um, were people were your friends and colleagues were they surprised or had they kind of yeah uh, so my closest friends by the time I entered the competition some of my closest friends knew that I had this weird writing okay. shell at the bottom of my garden <laughs> that I went off to but most people were really surprised mm. my colleagues were surprised um, yeah everyone at work no one knew uh, the rest of my family were surprised mm. uh, they didn't know. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a it was a big deal in the family yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah, and they couldn't believe they, nobody can understand nobody who's not a writer or who has tried to be a writer understands why you would keep it a secret. Mm. You know, so it's it's a yeah, it's a strange thing. I always think it's a really good sign if people keep it a secret. <laughs> do you? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just because it means that you're. I mean, it's not a total blanket rule, but yeah, I just think it often means that you're really no, serious about yeah. it and you want to get it right yeah. before you kind of. I think it's because I was often Logic. at parties when I was younger, meeting meeting often men. Not to be sexist Sorry, here. Johnny. Sorry, but, <laughs> but standing in the corner, standing, <laughs> standing in a dark corner, somewhere with a man while he tells me about his uh, his latest novel that he's written, and I was always a bit I don't know, it's always a bit cringy. Do you, I don't think you're on Twitter, but there's no, a, there's no. a great Instagram and not Twitter. Okay, there's a great person to follow on Twitter called Guy in Your MFA, oh. who yeah, which is very very funny, and yeah. just he just tweets things that that guy in your MFA class might might say to you. Oh, so, that sounds good. Yeah, it's maybe that. worth getting. On maybe I'm like, is it worth? To, is it? I'm kind of terrified yeah, of Twitter. You could go on just just well, you could just look at his Twitter. I could just yeah. go and stalk. Yeah, yeah. I'd recommend. Um. Okay, I wanted to ask you, so that's a great answer to, yeah, why, why you began, when you began. Um, I wondered if there would be any writers who'd been particularly inspirational or influential for you, either at the beginning, at that very start of your writing life, or along the way. Um, so probably the most inspirational writer to me, um, because, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, she, she came along just at that pivotal point for me in terms of age when I was in my early 20s I think she was in her mid-20s 24 um Sadie Smith um one obviously because she was such a publishing sensation so she was hard to avoid for quite a few years at that point in time still is um so every magazine I opened she Mm -hmm. was the cover girl every um you know article that you read that had any import was written by her as well Um, she became so prolific as well in terms of her essays as well as her novels Um, um, in part this is talking about the feminist thing again as well because she was this woman who was incredibly beautiful clearly took pride in how she looked wore makeup um, while also listening to hip hop um, while at the same time writing again one of my favourite novels White Teeth and so that that she combined all these things that you that you could be highly intelligent and look great and uh, care about feminist issues um, and be a mixed race and operate uh, in the way that she did in the world. Um, she was massively inspirational to me. Yeah, yeah. My dad's mixed race, so I'm kind of a quarter mixed race, which is a strange position to be in. Mm. Um, but yeah, it really mattered to me as a result, and I really respected her. And the, and yeah, I I think I don't love all her books, but I really love White Teeth, and I know that's the one she dislikes the most now, oh, really? which makes me a bit sad. Um, but yeah, I know that's terribly flawed, but it's it's yeah again fizzes with life mm. that book. 
I read Swing Time this summer and just loved it, and now it made me want to um, go back yeah. and re- yeah, reread yeah. White Teeth, oh, yeah, actually. Like, yeah. I Swing Time. Swing Time's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, I think she's great and really inspired me in that way, yeah. I wondered about your writing routine. You've mentioned a shed before, so <laughs> yeah. I think I already know where you write, but um, how did you, yeah, where did the shed come from? Uh, do you write with a pen? Do you write with a laptop? Do you listen to music? I think um, we hope that other people who are scribbling away in their sheds will be listening to this podcast. So, and I think writers always like to know how other writers do it. Yeah. So, I d- um, so uh, I have my shed. My shed. It sounds rather well. It doesn't sound grand a shed, does it? But it it does make one think of serious writers like Roald Dahl and people mm-hmm. like that who wrote in their sheds. But it's really not like that. Half the half of my shed is uh has a desk in it and my laptop and some books and the other half has gardening equipment and it's a real shed shed. (laughs) so I spend some of my time looking at kind of uh bags of fertilizer and um it also has a currently deflated paddling pool in Mm. it as well so it's not a kind of fantasy shed which (laughs) in my head is really painted in tasteful colors and has lovely Mm. Um, artwork on the walls it's not quite like that Uh, but it is a private space and it is really quiet and it is double glazed and it has electricity which is exciting and um, and I have a little electric heater that I go out there at the moment in the winter and sit there with my blanket over my knee like a grandma and and yeah type away without interruption but in terms of my routine my routine is dictated essentially by two things so uh, my day job, working part-time as a lecturer, so obviously on the days when I'm teaching I can't write. It's just, I cannot get my head around people who can sort of do a half day of mm-hmm. other work and then a half day of writing. I need a massive build-up to write. Um, and my and looking after and picking up my son from school. So those two things really uh, bracket my days. Mm-hmm. So I have two days in the week currently when I can, when I can concentrate solely mm-hmm. on writing. Um, so yeah, I go down to my shed with a cup of tea normally cup of builder's tea with a lot of sugar in and uh, sit there from morning till night and try not to move um, sometimes I take mm-hmm. loads of snacks at the moment very unhealthy snacks Pringles etc there are <laughs> other crisps available but they, they are currently the ones I'm taking we might get some um, you never know you never know I thought I'd better point it out yeah. you know, they are currently my favourite so. um, and some sort of chocolate and yeah and I try not to move because if I go back into the house, I will just put the washing on or mm. answer some emails or whatever. Um, I don't have that freedom app on my computer, but I should. Uh, because a, about every hour, I stop and look at some sort of distracting website. Often the pool, actually, which is another, <laughs> another answer to another question. But yeah, um, and, and look at like shoes for half an hour. And then hate myself. And then when I hate myself just enough, then I then I go back and do some more writing again. So yeah, it's um, yeah. But I love my shed, and my shed is from B and Q. Another potential advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to ask. You said you need a kind of long um, yeah. run up to it. So, yeah. um, but it sounds like rather than doing like power posing, you're you're making your. <laughs> yourself hate yourself a little bit by a little bit shoes yeah, yeah. that's yeah. essential for your creative process yeah guilt is essential okay. to me um i i have to feel uh it, yeah 
there has to be a kind of emotional build-up for me to write, mm. weirdly. So sometimes it helps to get loads of emails out of the way and stuff, boring work stuff. Um, but for the most part, I have to read through what I've done the day before and then um, just sit until I have to write. So it's almost about making, forcing myself to either the point of boredom or the point mm-hmm. of guilt, to which I can't bear to not write something. Right. <laughs> it sounds terrible. It sounds like some yeah. horrific agony. I felt, I felt but, really bad. <laughs> no, but once I started, yeah, no, yeah. Once I started, then it's normally fine. And I spend some time in the morning when I'm in the shower and doing things, making breakfast and things, sort of working out the scene in my head before I mm. sit down. And if I've done that properly before I get in there, normally I don't have to spend too long doing those other things <laughs> before I can write. But yeah, um, yeah, there is a certain level of self-hate that's involved. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> um, I wondered if you had someone who was always your first reader. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned that not many people even knew that you were a writer until recently. No, so. yeah. Um, so my first reader is always my husband Charlie who's a uh, documentary filmmaker so he's he's my first reader uh, I still have to get quite a big chunk of stuff done before before I can kind of fill mm. up can bother him with it though. Mm. I think if I was sort of doing a page and then giving it to him and doing a page <laughs> and giving it to him he'd go completely mad so I have to get like a good you know, 10,000 word chunk done mm. or something and then I give it to him and he goes over it and normally he corrects my apostrophes because I'm, as you will see realise, <laughs> really bad at okay. apostrophes. So I'm we generally really good at most grammar <laughs> and sentence structure and things like that. Spelling, fine. But yeah, apostrophes are terrible, especially it's mm. and it is. So he goes through them okay. with a red pen. I'm good at that, so Okay, cool, fine. that's good, that's good. Uh, he goes through with a massive red pen and, and shouts at me a lot. Um with the written word uh, and yeah and he does that and then I read all of his stuff as well so if he's he's written scripts and things and, and I'm his first reader mm. and we sort of bicker back and forth a little bit um, but I like that tension as well I, I, mm. I kind of need someone to tell me someone that I really trust to tell me that something isn't very good because then when they tell me it's good mm. then I believe them yeah yeah. Um, if you just have a kind of yes man or yes mm, woman saying um, it's great all the time to you, I don't think that's very helpful. Yeah. Get someone else to be your first reader in that case. Yeah. You need someone who's going to be really strict and stern. And he is. <laughs> that's quite good. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> what happens, uh, has it ever happened that he's really... You've disagreed about something. Oh, and yeah. Then, and then do, almost do you, always. Do you always win? or Win as in I, as, like, in, as, in, as in I just keep it the yeah, way I want it. Yeah. No, no. It, uh, <laughs> well, maybe 80% of the time I probably persuade him that my way is the right way. Um, but I, he's often very good. He, he, like I say, he's a filmmaker, so he often has to write synopses for things. So he's used to thinking in a much more tightly controlled way mm-hmm. than I am mm-hmm. so he's often great at telling me when I'm waffling on well, I love description so he often mm. is reining in my description right, okay. and my descriptive passages and pulling bits out of that for me and I find that really helpful mm. so when he does that I sort of yeah I pay attention yeah um, but if he has some issue with one of my characters then I get tetchy <laughs> So, yeah, then we have a problem. <laughs> okay. So it's useful for me to know as well, because, yeah. you know, I'll be a <laughs> yeah, reader too. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. you, can, you won't hate me for all the knitters <laughs> issues. Um, so now I want to talk about the uh, about One Night in New York, about the this mm. novel in particular. I wondered if there was a, was there a kind of first spark for the novel that you mm. can identify and, and talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the idea came about... Uh, I was working on another manuscript, so I'd written another uh, whole novel and I was on the third draft of it, and uh, I had sent it out to agents and a couple of people had said that they were interested and had given me comments on it and things like that, but no one was interested enough to pick me up, and so I was kind of depressed about that, and uh, as I said earlier, my dad was really ill. And I was finding it very difficult to write, very difficult Mm. to correct stuff, and to just sit in my shed and concentrate. Um, And uh, my husband suggested that I join a writing class on a Friday afternoon at City Lit. And I'll talk a bit more about this in a a minute. But um, it was while I was working on that, and simultaneously something came up at work where I was researching um, uh, an American photographer called Bernice Abbott. And... uh, one of her photographs is essentially taken from the top of the Empire State Building um, at night um, on the December solstice, uh, 1932. And this photograph so uh, interested me and the circumstances around it, how she got up there in the first place, how she bribed security guards to get up there. She's a fascinating photographer and woman in her own right. Um, and so all of that, I suddenly really inspired by this single image. Um, so I wrote a little bit, uh, like I essentially wrote the first page that then became the first page that I handed in for the competition. Um, and, uh, as part of my writing group and read it to my writing group. And it was, it was one of those groups where people sit around kind of, uh, nice, for the most part, nicely criticizing each other and in good faith. And, uh, there's a very wide range of ages that were at the writing group as well. And people responded really well to it. So I had been taking chunks of this uh, other novel that I was quite mm. a long way through in. And people seemed so much more enthused by the thing I'd written for that that I then 
that yeah, that that one night New York became kind of my my mistress to my wife that I kind of gave up on a little bit. Not to sound too sexist, to me, but yeah, uh, that's what happened. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I was kind of ran with it from that point. So there was just this one image in my head and this female photographer standing at the top of the building and out of that it kind of, yeah, solidified. And that's really interesting that you had, so you'd had some experience with agents and, you know, the publishing Mm -hmm. world in that way and I think that's, it's so, it's such a, you know, it's a story that you hear often Mm. actually that there's probably like one or two (laughs) sort of slightly flatter pancakes and that, you know, the joy that maybe didn't get anywhere. and certainly, as an editor, I, I'm always really encouraged by that because I just think, well, you can finish a book, which a lot of people just can't yeah. ever finish. <laughs> yeah, book, so. yeah. Um, but I wondered if you, and again, I'm assuming that there'll be some people listening to this who want to be writers themselves, mm-hmm. uh, want to get published. Is there anything, anything from that experience with agents that you would pass on to other writers, or is it just feel, does it feel too particular? Or no, I think. Um, what would I say? I think the publishing world sometimes feels incredibly impenetrable um, as, as a, you know, as a respective author. I think that it, um, and it has to be in some ways, it's the, it's the understanding that it, it, it has to be this kind of, uh, you have to keep chipping away at it. And, and I felt with some of the agents, I, it was wonderful because some of them did give me feedback, even though on their websites they said that they wouldn't. And so I felt really enthused by that. Yeah. The, no, that's, the, just the rare, fact that they, that they had bothered, number one, yeah. it didn't just go in the slush pile and wasn't read. Yeah. And number two, they actually bothered to respond to me. Mm. And so I think I, I gained some confidence from that. And it was, the, it was the first thing that I had sent out. I hadn't entered any competitions mm. before. I'd never written short stories. I, as I said, I'm no good at them. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it was, the, it was like my first entry into it. I would just say, just carry on doing it do it for yourself don't do it for anybody mm. else and I, I really do live by that you know I was writing for a good you know I mean if you count all the rubbish 20 years before uh, before yeah. we got here yeah. so um, and I just did it because I liked it and mm. you don't have to give up your job to do it you can always find mm. time to do it if it's what you want to do mm. I would just say keep chipping away and do enter competitions and do write short stories don't be like me <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, taking solace from Rejection, actually, as you did. Absolutely. I think that's, yeah, yeah, it's kind yeah, of hard yeah. to explain to, to people. Sometimes rejection can be great. Yeah. But yeah, it, the rejections where they say nothing is hard, yeah. it is, is terrible. Um, but yeah, when they, when they bother to respond in a nice way, um, and they don't necessarily think what you've done is good, but they think that, you know, some of it is mm. all right. So, you know, some people love my characters, mm. and that gave me, that heartened me, because yeah. it, it sort of told me something that I always knew that I'm good at characters. Mm what I wasn't good at at that point was plotting and you know the, some some of the other uh, tools in my toolkit were not mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. so uh, so it, it gave me something to work on mm-hmm. as well but yeah I'm not going to pretend I wasn't depressed as all hell yeah because yeah. you course, know this, this, is, the, this yeah. is the third this was the third um, yeah this was this was my third kind of edit so yeah, yeah. it was it's a lot yeah, of it was a lot a, of yeah I've been doing it for like two or three years yeah. by that point part time so yeah it killed me for a while but like I said join a reading join a reading or writing group it's really helpful mm-hmm. um, and I wondered uh, how long so exactly yeah how long have you been working on one night in New York before you mm. entered the competition 
So I, I like the story that it was sort of a, you're a bit on the side, basically. And that yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely my bit on the side. Um, I was working, I think, I entered the competition quite late. I don't think I entered it until May. Mm. And so I was working one night for about three months before, so not very long, really. I started it around February time. Um, and yeah, it, it was just little bits as part of my, as part of this writing group. And um, so yeah, I'd taken like, you know, 500 word chunks at a time and read it out in a vaguely terrified way. Um, and yeah, people seem to like it, although they, yeah, they, they did have some problems with it. Should I tell you what they, I yeah, don't know whether to yeah, say go, what they yeah, think. Go for it. Because I'm kind of nervous because it's not done yet. And because there's so much more left to do. That, well, um, only tell me if it's not going to put you off your game. Maybe it will. Maybe you shouldn't tell me. Whatever no, I don't think it will. Well, maybe you have to see what you think. But, so some of them didn't like... Um, but it's, it's part of the bit that I, that I submitted anyway, mm. so it's all right. Um, so some of them thought... Some of the uh, women there thought that I had... Uh, gone too far with some of my sexual references um, because okay. because they they argued that for that point in the 1930s women wouldn't necessarily uh, feel that intensely about these things and mm. I was just adamant that yeah. that can't possibly be the case. Yeah, um, have they read the group? So, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah no, yeah. <laughs> so it was it was interesting. We had some good debates about that in, yeah. in the class itself, where they, they just felt like I'd pushed some of the language a bit too far. Mm. And, um, some of some of the way my main character experienced sex because she enjoys it so much was was, was they didn't believe it. Mm. And that was interesting in itself because yeah. some of the women who had a problem were, you know, in their in their sixties and seventies. Right, right. So it was like an interesting split in the group. Yeah, where, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just it was just intriguing. Mm. Interesting. But I kept it. So Good. Anyway, <laughs> and I won the competition. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so I know, obviously, you haven't actually been working it for that that long, but um, and, but you talked really brilliantly about that initial spark and. Mm. Um, idea of this photography book being on the top of the Empire State Building and I wondered how has the book um, sort of developed and changed since that Mm. initial spark? Mm. So it's developed, um, it's changed a fair bit, it still starts where it starts, it still starts up there Um, and essentially because I just had this one moment, this one kind of scene in my head and I do work very much in scenes more than I do plot plotting. I don't really think I believe in plotting. But, yeah, I work in scenes, so I can see something really visually first. Uh, so because I had this very intense uh, moment in my head with these, this woman at the top, I had to put someone else with her, otherwise there was no tension. Mm. And also, I didn't want to write about... Um, the woman that really existed, Bernice Abbott, because I felt like, although she's dead, I, d- I don't... Uh, I didn't want it to trap where the novel went. Mm, mm-hmm. it, it, it could have really easily been too enclosed as a result, and I felt I'd feel like I had to stick too closely to things that actually happened mm. or to a specific timeline yeah. uh, or too really restrictive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Much too restrictive. And so I put I put some, the minute I put someone else up there, another woman, and the story became about her. Then it started to unfold really mm. quickly for me, and I and I. And I very quickly saw the end, and um, now my main problem is how the hell I get them to the end. Mm. So I'm essentially in a bit where uh, there is... So they start at the top of the Empire State Building, and they're waiting to kill a man. So the, the story then became, obviously, how 
How, well, first of all, why are they up there waiting to mm. kill a man? And secondly, uh, what has he done to them? Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, are they going to kill him or not? Mm-hmm. So there's a number of questions there that I'd given myself <laughs> yeah. instantly. Like classic creed of that I have, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, that I have no <laughs> clue the answer <laughs> yeah. to. So then, uh, so that's basically what I sit in my shed doing, trying to unravel, unravel this problem mm. that I've set for myself, which I love. Yeah. Which is really interesting to me. So I don't really know what's going to happen. I know the ending, the very yeah, ending. Yeah. But I have no idea how they get there, necessarily. That's so interesting. I, I heard um, Mark Billingham give a talk. He's obviously written many crime novels, mm. published by another little brand imprint. And he said that's exactly how he plots yeah. his novels, is he always knows the beginning and he always knows the very end. Well, and that then, makes me feel better. I'm not yeah. just that, because I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, my first yeah. book wasn't a crime novel, so I, <laughs> when I won the thing, I was like, God, is it a crime? I suppose it is a crime. <laughs> yeah. It has to be crime and suspense. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. But it's good to know someone else is, is yeah. doing something similar. Yeah, so he yeah. said that gives him enough Enough to kind of hold him so that he doesn't feel like mm, he's just, you know, in a yeah, dark wood without any... Yeah, ranging too. Yeah, yeah too but mm. also it, it means that he's still... He can surprise himself and his characters can surprise yeah. him. And the, yeah, it's more interesting for I him. I think that's so. really important, especially if you're trying to write suspense. I think if, if yeah. you know everything that happens, mm. I think it may it may become too predictable too quickly. Yeah. Whereas if I'm writing without really knowing necessarily how my character's yeah. going to react in a given situation... You know, you get the element of surprise for yourself first. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is good. Yeah. Mm. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so so you started the uh, One Night New York in February, and I think we launched the competition at the end of February. And I wonder if you could just say a little bit about how you heard about the prize and what mm. was it about it that made, you, made it interesting to you? And yeah. Um, so I heard about the prize. I was late coming to the to, to the to hear to the hearing of the prize. Um, I missed the first call on the pool website, um, and sort of picked it up some way down the line, probably in March sometime I think. And they'd done a re- kind of reminder mm. about it, and uh, I suddenly panicked and thought, Oh my God, this is exactly the thing that I want to apply for. Number one. Because it was on the pool, and like I say, I distract myself with the pool a lot. <laughs> it's a wonderful place to not write, um, to not get anything done. Uh, but no, I, I really respect their journalism on there. It, I think they really filled a gap in the market wonderfully, mm, and I've, yeah. I've been a, a kind of fan since they started. And um, so, yeah, that's always been a great distraction. So it was that, but then obviously it was... The idea that I that, that part of the prize was to win a publishing contract with Virago was just too good not to do. And I think even if I hadn't already had something in mind, I would have had to written something for it. <laughs> so uh, there was just no way I wouldn't apply. Mm. Um, and my husband, as usual, sort of said to me, yeah, well, you know, don't go crazy though, because, you know, they're going to have loads of applications for that this kind of deadpan way that he always says really enthusiastic and encouraging um, and I was like well yeah I know and, I, and also he thought it was a bit weird because like I said I don't apply for uh, I don't enter competitions I, I, I think because I'm in part like I said because I was, keep, I was secretly writing but also because I just never believe I'm going to win anything and so because I haven't entered anything before it made me so nervous about this um, but yeah, I, so it, that was that was how it happened, and so yeah, these two that you guys were in collaboration, mm. I just couldn't not enter. It would have been madness not to do it. <laughs> and I've, yeah, I've always been such a fan of Virago and their and their whole list. Um, I still think they're one of the most important publishers, um, and I'm so pleased that they're still going. 
So yeah, don't go anywhere. Um, it makes so. me happy. Yeah. <laughs> so no. So yeah, I couldn't avoid it really. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for coming in and taking the time to do this. I know you've got essays to mark oh, yeah, and the novel to write, obviously. So oh. which I'm going to interrogate you about shortly in the pub. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was really great to hear your answers, some of which were new to me. So that was oh, yeah, good. that was really great. And. Um, yeah, so thank you very much. And next episode, uh, we will, this little mini mini podcast within the podcast, we will talk about actually winning the competition. I think Great. we found out you won in a uh, Vietnamese restaurant. Spoiler yeah, yes, alert, I did, sorry. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so we'll talk about that and um, you'll be a bit further down the line in terms of the writing. So we'll, yeah, talk about that, how it sort of, Great. yeah. Well, thank you so much. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Virago podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and also leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast. We'd also love you to be in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or our website, virago.co.uk. Tune in next month for another installment of Books, Feminism, and Conversation from Virago Press, the international publisher of books by women. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.